Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Every week, we interview founders, marketers, and researchers from innovative brands to learn how they're approaching their role and their category in a clever way. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Dig In. I am Jess Gedeke, and I am the new CRO at Dig Insights. And I have the pleasure of starting to have a role in this beautiful podcast. And today I am thrilled to be interviewing Megan Healy, our VP of marketing here at Dig Insights, who's been done a fantastic job with this podcast for the past couple of years. And uh, so I'm excited to sit down with her and kind of ask her a little bit about her experience of hosting the podcast and some of the guests that she's had on, some of the learnings some of the kind of backroom stuff that you guys don't get to see in the published episode. So thanks for joining me and uh, learning about Megan's many learnings over the past couple of years. Megan, hello. I am very excited to be talking with you today. And you're typically on the other side of the desk, so to speak. So we're switching roles today. How does that feel? I mean, I'm pretty excited. I feel like this is going to be a cathartic experience. And I'm a pretty big fan of talking about myself. So um, <laughs> we're here. Yeah. I think it'll be good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you and the team have done such a tremendous job with the Dig In podcast. And today, I think it's a cool opportunity to learn about what you have learned from launching Dig In more than two years ago, both what you've learned from the guests that you've interviewed, as well as the process of using a podcast as a marketing vehicle. So there's a lot to cover. Do we want to just jump right in? Yeah, let's just dive in. Okay. So why did you launch the Dig In podcast? What were you hoping to get from it when you first started? I came from a sort of tech startup background when I, before I joined Dig. And we were always sort of clambering for those big, you know, notable global clients. Um, and that was really exciting, sort of the pursuit of that. But when I joined Dig, we already had so many well-established relationships with sort of big global brands, um, great relationships with the sort of insights and research folks within those brands. So one of my first things I wanted to do was kind of get to grips with the type of work we do, why they keep coming back to us again and again. Um, so really the podcast was sort of a neat, a neat way for me to get a better sense of why they liked working with us, what their everyday challenges were, um, you know, which pain points that we'd be able to help them with, how we could do better. Um, Not necessarily like interviewing them in the sense of like, why do you love working with us? (laughs) But a little bit more subtly um, asking them questions about, you know, their day to day and, and kind of what keeps them up at night. So that was sort of initially the, the reason that I, I um, wanted to start the podcast. And then I guess, People really liked it. Um, and actually, we started to get a lot more interest internally. Um, a lot of people on on LinkedIn were sort of tuning in and, and commenting and engaging with it. And it became a really nice vehicle for um, just some brand marketing. So I know that a lot of companies these days have podcasts, um, but I really have found, um, and I know we'll get into this in a little bit, but really have found that it's it's a beneficial marketing channel for us. Um, not only for us to learn as marketers, but also to sort of give people the inside scoop into what, you know, senior level insights and researchers are, are thinking about on a day to day. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think there's something to the conversational way of learning as well, right? So when when we can listen in on people sharing their experiences and their stories, um, and they're not giving us a lecture, right? We're kind of listening in yeah. on, their, on their conversations, I think it can be really helpful. So, well, let's talk about the interviews themselves. Can you share an interview that you maybe were most nervous about that you lost oh some gosh. sleep like the night before? Uh, so I think at the beginning, I was just much more nervous in general. Like I cringe to listen to some of my initial interviews and I'm sure anyone who's done podcasting um, feels that way. Yes. You are kind of starstruck just by anyone. You're starstruck by the process of like logging into something like a Riverside, which we're using right now. Um, I think from a personal perspective, my interview with Oatly, so um, sorry, not with Oatly, but Kevin Lynch, who's one of the creative directors at Oatly. Um, they're sort of a brand that I've always been obsessed with, just in terms of the way that they manage their marketing, how creative their copy is. Um, the list kind of goes on and on. So I definitely lost some sleep before that interview. Um, but then on the on the flip side of the coin, I think the other interviews that I got nervous about were people who really, really like deeply knew the research landscape and really understood kind of all the moving parts of the types of people that are almost thought leaders within the space. Mm -hmm. And I think I would get nervous about whether or not the questions I were asking were a little bit superficial or maybe weren't diving deep enough because frankly, like, you know, I don't have 20, 30 years of research experience in my back pocket. So, um, more like wanting to make sure that I was showing up, sort of coming correct and representing the brand really well. Um, but then also making sure that it was going to be an interesting listen for people like the, you know, Nick Graham from Mondelez of the world who might be tuning in. So yeah, um, yeah, definitely lots of anxiety, <laughs> but, but fun. Yeah. No, I had that same uh, in my past company and in my podcast where I actually also interviewed Nick at Mondelez, but um, there is this, this worry that you're going to ask a question that you don't even know how to interpret the response sufficiently, right? So there's like this moment of panic sometimes. I'm, I'm going to put a question out here and see what I get back and uh, hope to keep along with the, uh, with the interviewee. So, well, I think you did a phenomenal job. I've listened to every single episode. Oh, thank you. And I think you did a great job. So I think another thing I'd love to hear from you is sometimes when you're interviewing these guests, they, they make a statement that you can't help, but in your brain go, Oh my God, I never thought of it like that. And what's the implication to me and my role. And it's almost hard to keep up with the conversation because your mind's kind of turning on that light bulb moment. Did you have an interview where you, you had that same experience? Definitely. I had so many. And actually when we were prepping these questions, I was, you know, struggling to kind of whittle it down to a handful because I learned so, so much by doing this for a couple of years. I think the best interviews I did were with people who made very complex things that the sort of they reckon with on a day-to-day basis when they made those really simple for people to sort of understand. So one of them was um, someone named Ed Collison. He is, I think he's now the director of analytics for Olipop, which is kind of like taking the world by storm. Mm-hmm. Um. And he was talking about their sort of data-driven approach to marketing and how omni-channel kind of was the only, and I'm not going to go into the, the 
basics, but sorry, the, the nitty gritty here, but he was talking kind of about how, um, Omnichannel is essentially the only way that made sense for them to sell their product. And, um, he was also talking about how the way that they're selling their product is sort of forcing their partners to generate new data that they've sort of never had access to. So, um, retailers have all this sales data, but because they were going sort of the direct to consumer approach, they were really pushing a lot of their data partners to give them a little bit more information about what that path to purchase looks like online. Anyways, he articulated it incredibly well. And it made me think like I complete it's, it unlocked an understanding of what our sort of like from a dig perspective, what our personas are grappling with mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. Um, so yeah, that was a, one of my early, early interviews. And I think one of the reasons that it was such a light bulb moment is because I was able to actually just listen and engage and have a conversation. Yeah. Like I, we kind of got there because I had a s- script in front of me, but we kind of said, screw it to the script. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of continued the conversation. So that was really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a bunch of others. Uh, Doug Healy from PepsiCo was fascinating. He's, he also does like a phenomenal job of just taking complicated things and making them feel very simple and intuitive. He was talking about how important qualitative research is to him and how his team does these sort of away days and they actually bring consumers in. Um, they're in a unique perspective because they're in a unique situation, sorry, because they, he works on Gatorade. So they can actually have athletes come in and sort of chat to their consumers and the marketing team, the insights teams, they just sort of like feed off of the energy in the space. They spend a day with consumers. And I was like, yeah, this is so simple, but also so impactful. Like he says, his teams talk about these, like, I think it's twice a year they do them. These away days that they do regularly in their meetings. And while it's not like at no expense, they have to bring in athletes and, you know, make it worth the worth it for the consumers to come in. It's um, just like a simple and super smart way of engaging with your target audience. So I loved that point from him. Yeah. Gatorade does some super cool things. And Doug is such a vibe, right? I, I absolutely yeah, love he's great. Yeah. So, you know, the, the podcast really is meant to bring inspiration from people that are doing innovative things with their brands or with their businesses. And I'm curious, were there any topics that you wanted to tackle, but you didn't get to? Definitely. Um, I think the challenge with talking to people who um, work for large global brands and are quite senior is that understandably, there's only so much detail that they can provide. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that I would chat to the interviewees about in the pre-interview. And they would say, you know, I can't talk about this on the podcast, but X, Y, Z, sort of we're launching this or we're renovating this brand or we're doing running this campaign with this really cool celebrity. So, you know, selfishly, if I had my way, I, I think it would be really great to be able to talk about that stuff on the podcast and, and tell people about it. Um, I think one of the things I learned the hard way in, in some ways early on was um, if you do want to sort of push to talk about those things, there's an incredibly lengthy process you need to go through with their respective comms team to sort of make sure that they're allowed to talk about it and that we framed everything up in the right way. 
So it was always a balancing act of like, how in depth do we want to go? And if we do go really in depth, how much time can I allow before this interview becomes like less interesting? Like, do we have six months that we can spend sort of negotiating with the comms team or three months or two months, whatever it is. So yeah, that's probably the thing I would have loved to be able to do a little bit more of, but completely understand why that's very hard for for people to do. Sure. Yeah. I know you can sometimes see it in their eyes that they want to keep talking and they want to share the yeah. secret sauce, but they got to hold back. And um, so I try to go sometimes tell me about your last job. Cause there's been enough years since those launches, right? That, oh, that's that smart. Can, yeah. But um, yeah, well, I'm sure that many stories to come and, and uh, sometimes it is worth a multiple month investment, right. To get that story yeah. to be told. And so we'll be mindful about that too. Um, What's one of the funnier bloopers that like didn't make it to the final episode? <laughs> one of my favorite parts about hosting a podcast is there's so much stuff that happens. It gets cut for good reason. I mean, typically, sorry, I'm laughing because typically I'm the blooper. Like <laughs> typically I'm the one who's, you know, made a mistake or I've like just come off um ugh, like, you know, just come out of another meeting that was really stressful and like I've somehow managed to get myself into a place where I'm like, miss, you know, I've, um, I'm unable to find the questions. Like you have to remember that when we started this, it was, it was a marketing team of like two. And so I was running everything. I was running every pre-interview. I was sourcing all of the people. I was figuring out where we could record everything. Um, so it was a little chaotic in the beginning. I honestly think everyone we've had on were such legends, like just in terms of, um, you know, they were so easy to talk to and so well-prepared. I think the funniest stuff came from the conversations I started to have with the founders. Like Ian is one of our founders, president of Upside, and he is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. And he just can't help himself. Like (laughs) at one point, um, they were also weirdly the interviews I got the most nervous for because there's four of them. So trying to manage that and also keep conversation going, but not prioritize any one person too much was really interesting. Um, But yeah, they always would be ripping on each other at the beginning of the recordings. And at one point I think Paul, no, Michael said, I don't know if I should be on camera right now. Like I didn't, you know, dress up for the, the occasion. (laughs) And Ian was like, are you wearing your assless chaps? <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't stop laughing. Like we literally had to stop recording. I was laughing so hard, which was obviously a joke. But um, I mean, it speaks to how well they get along and um, how great the culture is here that you can make ridiculous jokes like that. But yeah, that was that was pretty funny. Um, and yeah, there was a few others. I mean, when I interviewed... I was so excited to get the interview with Sticks from Liquid Death, who heads up their their marketing department. Um, but he was literally traveling. Like he was about to get on some sort of, I think he was about to get on a flight to meet up with a celebrity who will not be named, who I think they were hoping to get as part of their campaign. So he was literally traveling while trying to record this. So the quality of the recording was, and it was impossible to nail him down because he's a busy, very important guy. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. We just won't use video. Like, 
I'm definitely, I would rather be able to have this interview be 20, 30 minutes and capture the audio of it um, than have no interview with this really cool guy um, who has a lot of great stuff to say. So um, yeah, that was, that was pretty hilarious. Um, And I'm, you know, our design team, sorry about the editing on that one. That was, (laughs) that was a rough one, but um, yeah, no, it was, it was a ride. It was really fun, but that was probably the founder episodes were um, probably the funniest bloopers. Yeah. The humor is so inherent in that, that group. And there is always discussion of fashion. I've been giving Paul like kind of crap about this because I'm like, why is it always a comment about a fancy sweatshirt or assless chat yeah. or whatever? It's like, there's a fashion to it. That's like well, deep. they all make fun of Michael's fashion because he's like, he's very hipster. Um, so they're always all harping on him. For so um, can I share some bloopers that I've had to cut in the past? Oh my gosh, please do. Almost always related. What I can't turn off my mom brain when I'm when I'm talking to people. So I'm always like, yes, that brand, you know, my daughter, XYZ, XYZ, my daughter's 14. And so sometimes I would like convey more about her life than I really should be sharing the podcast. <laughs> like I'd be like, yeah, my daughter has this crush on this kid. And so this brand is really, and then I'll be like, actually pause. Uh, we got to cut that part. I can't talk about it. <laughs> so uh, it's sometimes it's just funny what has to be cut out. But, um, and then, of course, a lot of ramblings on or we cannot get a word out, right? Like I could not say the word leveraging to save my life, um, which is just in self-reflection. What is my problem with that word, right? You start to like overthink why, why the problem. But Wait, so my problem with that word is that I constantly use it. Are you saying that you couldn't figure out how to say it or that you used it too much? My, my mouth would not execute the word. Oh, okay. But I, I'm, I think I'm now leveraging, leveraging. I'm doing it. Leveraging. I've grown. I annoy myself with because I, oh God, I, when I, again, like two years ago when we started this, I was having to re-listen to every episode to like, re-listening to your own voice so when you're cool. using all of the same words yes. and you can hear the anxiety in your voice was was torture yeah. um luckily someone else gets the pleasure of doing that now but yeah we'll, we'll get to that but uh but it's a growth experience <laughs> right listening to yourself and and realizing how you need to edit in real time it's a great opportunity actually so yeah I definitely got better so about podcasts as a channel as you mentioned like a lot of companies have podcasts nowadays in your view what b2b businesses should consider doing a podcast I think that's no B2B business should get into the podcast game if they're expecting to have um, some sort of immediate return on investment. It just, that won't happen. Um, I think partly just because it takes time to build momentum, but also because frankly, the podcast that we started is not the podcast that we ended up with. Mm -hmm. You really need to figure out what your niche is and, you know, what people enjoy. So being able to track, you know, which episodes are actually being listened to or who's coming back to those episodes and re-listening. I think that's when you start, that's when the magic happens. That's when like you, you start to understand what exactly your podcast needs to be about and which angles you need to take with it. 
So if you believe in, you know, the power of building your brand and, um, you know, the, the long tail of all of this, then I definitely think it's worth considering. But I would also say that it is just one more channel, right? Like it's, it's not going to be the be all and end all of your marketing strategy. So by no means is our only sort of content route, the podcast, um, I also, I guess, semi-related to your question, I think it's really important to figure out if you have the right resources to do something like this. Mm -hmm. I'm the type of person that's like, if I work hard enough at it, I will just be able to get it done. Um, (laughs) But, you know, looking looking back on it, it was a pretty big undertaking for like a one man or one woman team um, to put together. And I think that there was so much more we could have done with the podcast if I had maybe just waited a little bit. So I totally get why I did it when I did it, because I really wanted to understand our customers and um, understand the space a bit more generally. But I think that had I waited a little bit um, and had a bit more of a team around me that could repurpose the podcast content, it would have had that much more of an impact sooner. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think... Those are those are my two cents. Yeah. And how do you measure ROI for something like a podcast? Most basic answer to that question is that we use... So um, I follow someone named Chris Walker. He's created an agency called Refine Labs. And it's not, um, you know, brand new idea, but a great idea. So on any of our forms uh, for the DIG or Upside websites, we actually ask people where they've found out about us. It's an open text field. So we can track how much people are remembering the podcast. So by no means, like, I mean, you've probably input one of those fields yourself. Um, By no means is it the only channel um, that they know about us from. But if it's the one that's stuck in their brain, then we're doing something right. Yeah. So we've had several sort of good inbound leads over the past sort of six to eight months that have said, oh, I listened to your podcast with, you know, insert... Uh, Doug Healy or Ed Collison or whoever it was. Um, so I think that's really great. We've also integrated our HubSpot instance with the different sort of podcast listening platforms. So we can see, for instance, when someone visits Spotify and then comes to our website mm-hmm. um, or visits Apple Music and comes to our website. So that's really great just because it gives us a better sense of are people interested enough in our brand based on the episode they're listening to um, that they want to come to our website and check us out? Yeah. And then I think finally, and again, measurement is tricky with a podcast. You know, you don't know everything about who who's listening. It's really hard to track how many people specifically are coming back again and again. But We've seen an increase in website sessions, social sessions, um, engagement, I think is huge on LinkedIn in terms of like the clips that we share from the podcast. So there's so many knock-on effects that we are sort of attributing to the podcast investment. Definitely. And, you know, something you said there, though, is really important because our hope, of course, is that people listen to the podcast and they learn something helpful and interesting to them, but also that they want to learn more about DIG. However, yes. the podcast is not a commercial for Dig. And why is that important? Oh, no. Because it's supposed to be beneficial to the listener. Um, obviously, we think Dig would be beneficial to all of the people that we're 
you know, that are listening to the podcast because we we love the company that we work for. But um, we it's a brand channel. It's not like an acquisition channel. So at the end of the day, if what we're able to do is build some affinity for our brand within the space of, you know, great innovation research, that's the job that the podcast is meant to do. Um, so all we can do is deliver great listener, sorry, great interviewees and great content, um, and hope that that has a trickle down effect. Yeah, no, it's important. And I find it's a message. Sometimes we have to keep delivering internally when people do want it to be, how, how is this actually converting to, to acquisition? It's like, no, no, this is something that is part of the broader brand effort and being part of a thoughtful industry conversation. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. So let's talk about season two. How are we shifting a little bit as we go into season two? Yeah. So season two is very, very exciting. So obviously Jess, you've joined the team. Uh, it's been a couple months. I don't even know how I long know. it's been. Crazy. It feels like longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you've got some great insights about, you know, podcasts that you love listening to, um, you know, different things that you've learned from actually listening to season one. Um, and actually that element of like what I kind of wish we could have done more of, um, I think is something that we really want to bring into season two. So this idea of being able to tell, tell stories, um, and really make it even more conversational, I think is something that, um, is really important. We do want to tell, we keep using this, but the story behind the story. So like, not just tell us a story of how you launched X brand or X campaign, but actually like what might have gone wrong or what were the hurdles that you kind of came up against? Um, what are the things that other listeners can learn about what you yourself went through when you were running this project? Um, I think the other thing is that we've learned a lot more about ourselves um, from a brand perspective um, or a company perspective. We've grown a lot. I think when I started this podcast, we had 90 employees and now we're like, you know, verging on 250. Um, so we've learned a lot, we've grown a lot, we've built a lot internally, and we've got a really strong view on sort of where the research and analytics space is heading. And we want to make sure that we are sort of not again selling ourselves within the podcast, but sort of using that understanding to drive some interesting conversations within the podcast. So it's a really nice time to sort of take stock of what we did and build from it into season two. So who do you hope listens to our podcast and what do we hope that they take away? I hope everyone listens to it. Um, (laughs) No, I hope that, (laughs) I hope that anyone who cares about brand, anyone who cares about like brand growth, product growth, cool breakthrough innovations, um, anyone who, who cares about the space of growing businesses and brands, um, should find this podcast very interesting. I think previously we were super, super focused on the research audience. And while that is definitely going to make up a core component of who we invite onto the podcast, we also want to be aware of the fact that like research isn't, doesn't exist inside of a bubble. It's um, a part of like a much broader um, go-to-market effort, um, much broader product innovation or service innovation effort. So we definitely want to capture that. And then I think my favorite podcast that I listen to as someone who works in B2B marketing is, are the ones where I walk away being 
thinking to myself, wow, I can't even believe that I got that information for free. Like I feel Mm -hmm. so inspired to do something differently for my team or um, to approach something I've been struggling with a lot in a different way. And so I'm hoping that people walk away from our new podcast feeling like they can do that. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way that we tailor our questions and the way that the conversation ends up rolling out. But I want people to feel like they're almost listening to someone have a semi-vulnerable conversation about what it is that's required to sort of get something done and um, how they can sort of feel comfortable taking chances in the way that the the interviewees have done within their sort of respective roles. Yeah. I love that authenticity, that vulnerability. That's the stuff you remember, right? That's the stuff that you yeah. actually do put put away in your brain. So I too hope that our listeners get that experience and get that benefit moving forward. So speaking of season two, I'm going to kind of preempt some of the rapid fire questions that we're going to put in to season two. Are you ready for this? I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> Hit me. I'm ready. Okay. Okay. So what is the biggest screw up you've ever had at work? And I mean, any job. Yeah, this one was super easy for me to come up with. <laughs> um, so I <laughs> I worked in um, hospitality for a long, long time, all through high school and university. Um, and I worked at Boston Pizza. Shout out to Boston Pizza White Rock in BC. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was a server and I was running food for someone else's table. And I was super, super flustered. I had like a million other things, as you do when you work in the service industry. You're like trying to manage so many different things in your brain. And I went up to, so I was thinking, thinking, thinking. I had two two pizzas in one hand um, and another in my other hand. Right, I can see. And I go up to this, (laughs) I go up to this table and I lean over the table. These are pretty big pizzas. I lean over the table to drop off one of the pizzas to someone sort of to the far right. And the pizza that's on my right arm just falls into the lap of like a four-year-old child. (laughs) This is like a very hot pizza, like fresh out of the oven. And luckily the little boy was completely fine. He was wearing pants. We managed to get it off him (laughs) before there was any, you know, anything horrible happened, but I've never been more mortified in my life because first of all, there's nothing I can do. Like, it's not like I can be like, let me wipe that off for you. Like, that's ridiculous. That's so weird. Um, and it's not even my table. So I'm getting like death stares, um, from our another server who's just like, I cannot believe that you've done this to me. Like, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to recoup from this? How are we going to bounce back? Um, so yeah, that was, that was embarrassing. It was real embarrassing. Um, but obviously I've lived to tell the tale. So you're still okay. here. You're still here and it haunts your dreams. I'm sure. <laughs> um, so what's the last product you bought on impulse? Oh, I have a huge Instagram shopping issue. Um, yeah, I bought a really overpriced sparkly purple bathing suit from, <laughs> Oh my God, I don't even know the brand. This is how bad it is. I saw a picture and I was like, oh, this is so cool. I must have this. To be fair, I love it. But it was like $100 for a sparkly purple bathing suit. And I'm 34 years old. So 
Um, I don't think age yeah. has to do with that decision. I think that you got <laughs> it. Good for you. Impulse decisions are okay. And they're an accepted fact in, in our, our world and economy. So we, we believe that pretty fiercely. Um, kind of maybe similarly, since you just talked about your price context for that bathing suit, but what's kind of like the category or the brand or a product that you could rationalize any price point for? So I, I, it's a very boring answer. Um, I was trying to come up with something a little less obvious, but Apple, like, I don't even, I, they have me in a chokehold. I don't even, anything that they bring out. I'm like, I must have it. I will not take a windows computer. I just won't. Um, like fun fact, HR. And I went back and forth when I was joining initially and I was like, it must be a Mac and we're a research company. Most people don't have Macs. Um, but yeah, I will, I will do mental gymnastics to make it worth me getting the new iPhone or the newest AirPods or whatever it is. Um, yeah. I think that's probably my answer. I think that's fair. And I think that you're in a, a club of many people um, around the world. And, you know, we know that brands have distinct personalities. So what's a brand that you would date slash marry and why? I mean, I mentioned them before, but Oatly, I think would be so fun to date. don't know if they're marriage material, um, <laughs> but they'd be like so fun and witty. The banter would be on point. Um, I think they'd probably, you know, take me to some really cool dive bars. Um, yeah, I think Oatly would be, Oatly would be really fun. Um, in terms of marriage, I, I, so I saw this thing recently about Nike, um, and my TikTok knows me well because it was a Seth Godin sort of interview where he was talking about how everyone would know what the hotel would look like if Nike create, like if, if, an, if Nike decided to create a hotel, everyone kind of knows what that experience would look like. Um, and I was in love with that. Cause I, I think it's completely true. Whereas like you could kind of interchange a Marriott for a Hyatt for, you know, insert other hotel brand here. Um, so yeah, I think Nike would be like a nice sort of like sturdy, You've been around for a while. Yeah. Um, you know what you're getting. Yeah. So yeah, I think Nike for for marriage material. Yeah, I don't think Nike would have a midlife crisis. I think Nike is. I don't think so either. They are who they are, and they're. I, I love that. That's a an interesting reflection. And then finally, what keeps you inspired at work? I definitely think it's my team. So I was incredibly lucky when I joined Dig. I was the first sort of marketing director to join. And I've been able to build up my team from scratch. Um, and they're just all really, really lovely, intelligent, creative people. So I think every day being able to come to work and work with those those people, are that's my favorite part. And then honestly, it's very on the nose, but I love, I love a podcast. I'm like a big morning walk person. So I'll put on Exit 5. I'll put on the Refine Labs growth podcast. I'll put on like how I built this. Um, and yeah, I think it just gives you like a nice different perspective on your own day to day. So yeah, yeah, I'm a big podcast girl. Well, I love that. And it's a great way to start your day. And that is what we hope uh, will be the case for Diggin, uh continuing to be that source for our listeners. So 
Um, I really appreciate you giving me your, your insight and your input, Megan. So um, any kind of final thoughts and parting words as host of Dig In? Um, I'm just really excited for season two. I mean, I am really excited for you to be the voice for season two. I think I'm going to learn a lot from what you've already been able to do from a podcasting perspective. And I'm also just so happy that, you know, you've joined the team and you understand the value of this type of content. So I'm really looking forward to what you can bring to it. Um, and yeah, excited to see what's to come. Yeah, I'm super excited too. And your team is amazing, beyond talented. And uh, I can't believe how much they accomplish being just a, a handful of human beings. The amount of work that you guys do is truly, <laughs> truly impressive. So very much look forward to continuing the great work that the team has done. And as you mentioned, we're, we're going to be focusing on kind of all things innovation, right? Bringing our expertise and our passion for that. So we look forward to interviewing brand insights, innovation leaders to hear the story behind the story. Uh, about exciting launches and marketing ideas and campaigns. So we really do hope that Dig In can be that that inspiration to people that care about brand. So very much looking forward to season two. Um, and thank you, Megan, for letting me pick your brain today. I learned a lot. Thanks so much, Jess. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in this week. Find us on LinkedIn at Dig Insights. And don't forget to hit subscribe for a weekly dose of fresh content.